Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, we're a week out from Christmas, and uh, man, uh, as we are examining current events as they're happening around the world, things are happening fast and furious, aren't they? They sure are. That's right. We're one week away from Christmas. That's crazy. This year is almost over. So next week, Jimmy, we're going to focus a little bit more on Christmas. But this week, we are going to get in touch with our broadcast partners again as they bring us reports from all over the world. And uh, we do this to keep you informed. Yes, we'll be talking to Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Winky Madad, Dr. Richard Schmidt will be with us this week. There was a statement made by former President Trump that uh, uh, feelings that he had towards the prime minister, the former prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. We'll talk about that with Winky Madad and Dr. Rich Schmidt. And then, of course, Ron Morrow will be with us. He's talking about the financial situation and what's happening in our economy today in the United States and worldwide. Plus, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father, will be on with the Legacy Series. He's talking about those little shepherd boys in the shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem. Well, let's get started with today's program. Ken Timmerman with us today, our normal broadcast partner. Ken, we have a lot to talk about. Thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me on. First thing I'd like to talk about, Ken, and we look at the ongoing developments in the Middle East, and we're talking about the Biden administration, and they seem to be obsessed with getting this to an Iranian nuclear deal done, and, and even going as far as putting settlements on par with an Iranian nuclear deal. Unbelievable development, really unbelievable. So this week, the uh, Israeli prime minister came to Washington, and there was a separate meeting with Victoria Nuland, the deputy secretary of state in Jerusalem. And at both of these meetings, apparently, at the State Department in Washington and in Jerusalem with the deputy secretary of state, uh, the U.S. officials uh, were certainly willing to talk about Iran's nuclear weapons program, but they insisted that Israel curb violence by settlers against Palestinians. And they insisted on talking about that as much as talking about Iran's nuclear weapons program. Mm. To put the two on a par, it's just so outrageous, Rick. It's hard to believe that they actually did that. But these are press reports that have come out from Israel and the United States. Now, some have tried to downplay the emphasis on settlements, but you had an Israeli government minister as well who was reprimanded by his prime minister for speaking about the settlements with Victoria Newland in Jerusalem. So I think this is a real story, and I think it's quite disgraceful that the U.S. government would uh, see some kind of moral equivalence between mullahs in Tehran building nuclear weapons and Jews in Jerusalem or in you know what we call the West Bank and Judea, Samaria, uh, building homes for their families. I, I would tend to agree with you, and we're going to talk about this a little later with Winky Madad, who lives in, like you said, what would we, we would call Judea and Samaria, but it doesn't make any sense at all to put those on par with each other. Well, continuing on with Iran, and they're preparing to launch a space satellite that they may weaponize. So here's the thing about satellites and satellite launch technology, and it's one of those dirty secrets that everybody who's followed weapons of mass destruction, as I have done for the past 35 years, knows. If you can launch a satellite into orbit, that launcher that you've got is just shy 
of a capability to launch a nuclear warhead mm. into orbit. Okay, it is the same technology. It's, it's a little bit like the centrifuges that the Iranians use for enriching uranium. Uh, you could call them civilian centrifuges when they're enriching up to three percent, but you could call them military centrifuges if they're if they step on the gas and enrich up to sixty percent or to ninety three percent, which is weapons grade. So. This uh, satellite launcher is called the Seamorg. It was designed, in my opinion, to test the principle and the technology of launching a nuclear warhead 2,000 miles from, from Iran. And that, that, that means not just reaching Israel. That means uh, the ability to reach most European states as well, Saudi Arabia and others in the region. So I think this is a big deal. Uh, the Israelis are monitoring this launch that's coming up. So, so is the United States. Now, the Iranians have failed with this missile four times, but they have been working hard to perfect it. So we'll see if they're able to actually master the separation. Uh, that's one of the big things, uh, the, the choke points in this technology, separating the stages of the missile as it goes up. Uh, a lot of times, if you don't master it, <laughs> the missile blows up. So we'll see if they succeed with this. If they do, it is a very, very serious development. This is similar to their nuclear program. So they're saying they need this program to launch a satellite. And then their nuclear program, they're saying they need that for an energy source. And an energy source coming from one of the most oil-rich countries in the world. These programs seem to be designed for more nefarious reasons, don't they? Uh, that's right. It's what we call dual-use programs. They are inherently dual-use. They have a civilian cover or legend, if you prefer. Now, I've been talking about this for 30 years. I, I've, I've given lectures in Europe and gone to various non-proliferation forums to talk about this. Back in the 1990s, the legend of Iran's civilian nuclear program, it was designed to cover for a military nuclear program. So that, that's what they're doing. The centrifuges, as you say, are part of that legend uh, that Iran needs civilian nuclear power. They don't need civilian nuclear power. Uh, we learned that in 1995 when they struck a deal with the Russians to rebuild their Bushir reactor, that uh, nuclear power reactor in Bushir. And the Russians said, look, we'll give you, as part of this deal, access to all the uranium fuel you could possibly need for this reactor. And to sweeten that $30 million deal, which is pretty cheap, we'll even take back the spent fuel and reprocess it for you so you don't have to worry about the proliferation aspects. You can look clean and everything else. The Iran said, no, no, no deal. We want to master the uranium enrichment cycle ourselves. Well, they just told you that they did not have an economic reason for nuclear power. Now they're telling you, well, we're using that nuclear power legend to cover for a nuclear weapons program. Well, that story is particularly concerning when when we go to our next topic, the Tehran Times, a state-affiliated newspaper, printed a map of Israel with targets all over it, basically warning Israel that they could strike there. I mean, this is a pretty outrageous uh, cover story, that even by the standards of the Tehran Times, which is anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, anti-American, and screams instead of uh, uh, whispers on the front pages. But th this, this map... They say, you know, don't you dare, basically, don't you dare think about striking Iran or our nuclear weapons capabilities because we have all of these targets. We have all of these targets in Israel, and they show them on a map, 
you know, the, the way that you would have in a, in a regular Google Maps, right? They have little pins in all of these places in Israel, and it's, and it's covered with these red pins. Mm. And they say, the headline is this, just one wrong move, and this is what we're going to do with you. We can target you in all of these places in Israel. And by the way, they also have targets in Lebanon. That's kind of interesting that they have targets in Lebanon as well. Well, Ken, we will continue to keep tabs on Iran, of course, but I want to move on to uh, my final story that I'd like you to comment on. And basically, Russia and China have been having interesting conversations all the while with these tensions coming on between uh, the United States and Russia and Ukraine. It's just a very interesting story. Can you talk about it a little bit? Well, as the West puts pressure on Russia over Ukraine for reasons which really nobody has ever explained what our strategic interest in Ukraine is. While that's going on, you have this ongoing contact between Putin and Chinese President Xi, uh, including right just this past week where they had a long uh, video conference call. And Xi pointed out, and this I think is extremely significant, he said, you know, we have had 37 direct discussions since 2013 between myself and President Putin. Now that's an awful lot of talking between two leaders who uh, historically, Russia and China, have had problems along their borders. Well, clearly they're not having problems today along their borders. Imagine this for just a second, Rick. What would happen if Russia decided to invade Ukraine and China decided to invade Taiwan, and they did it on the same day? (laughs) Imagine uh, how the West would respond. We wouldn't be able to respond because we cannot fight two wars at the same time. Uh, And we cannot even respond to two international crises at the same time. So this cooperation, this close relationship between Xi and Putin, uh, they have been very careful not to to flout it in in front of the international community, in front of the United States, a lot. But they're telling us, just be careful, because the two of us understand each other very, very well. Xi and Putin uh, don't poke either one of us too far because then we will get together and respond. I had never thought about that, but if they're working in concert with each other, that's a very formidable problem that the rest of the world is going to have to deal with. Uh, it certainly is, and, and that's something that we need to keep an eye on. We need to remember, and frankly, uh, it's time for the adults at the State Department to step forward and uh, be heard and articulate a national interest in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe Uh, that is coherent, that makes sense to Americans, and that isn't overly provocative of Putin, who himself has national interest in his immediate border area. Imagine how we would feel uh, and how we would respond if China invaded Canada or invaded Mexico or annexed them or brought them into their military alliance. We would go ballistic. So we need to understand that Putin takes it very, very seriously. It's a red line. He will go to the mat. He will go to war if we push him too hard on Ukraine. So what is our interest? What is our strategy? What is our goal? That, I think, is something that needs to be articulated, and I hope the adults at the State Department will stand up and do it. These geopolitical issues that are taking place in the world are going to come to our doorstep one day, and we are going to need to know how to respond to them and how to uh, think about those. So thank you for doing that for our listeners, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Ken Timmerman. Wow, what a thought. China and Russia coming together. That sounds like end-time prophecy about ready to take place. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan and his Middle East News Update. 
right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Rohingya refugees living in the U.S. and Europe have sued Facebook for $150 billion. They say the platform allowed hate speech against them to spread in Myanmar in 2017, leading to thousands of deaths. Bruce Allen with FMI says the plight of about a million Rohingya refugees living in Bangladesh is an ongoing disaster. The government recently demolished thousands of shops they used to buy and sell food. Pray for the ministry teams working in the region as they respond to the ongoing needs. And if you're like me, you're probably doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. Not sure what to buy for someone on your list? Well, check out the 2021 gift catalog from Wycliffe USA. Donating to a Bible translation project in honor of someone on your list can be a life-altering event. Wycliffe USA's Pixie Christensen says, because people give to the Rwandan Sign Language Project, men like Muhir find new purpose. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today with our regularly scheduled guest, Dave Dolan. He provides us a Middle East news update every week. Dave, thank you for joining us. Glad to do it, Rick. Dave, I'd like to start out with a report of a terrorist attack in the area that we call Judea and Samaria on some Jewish citizens or settlers, as they're called. Can you tell us about that? And what's the situation going on there right now? Yeah, Rick, it was right near a settlement that had been evacuated by Ariel Sharon in 2005, and I spoke to your father extensively about that because there were battles up there between, uh, quote, settlers, uh, religious Jews, uh, right-wing Israelis, and left-wing Israelis that supported the withdrawal, and that was part of the Gaza pullout in 2005 carried out by, of all people, Ariel Sharon, which made the right-wing all the angrier. So these were four students, uh, yeshiva uh, students, that's a Jewish seminary, that keeps reappearing on the top of the hill where this settlement was, uh, called Homesh. And uh, the government takes it down. It's a, they put up a temporary building, and the government comes in a couple months later, takes it down, and then they put up another one a few months later, and they go back up there. So... Uh, these were four students coming from there uh, down the hill, and uh, they were ambushed by two Palestinian gunmen, the police said. Uh, ten bullets hit their car. They were uh, going to a nearby community um, that they all lived in. And the driver, thank God, wasn't hit, but the other three passengers were. And one of them in the back seat, a 25-year-old man, was newly married with a nine-month-old baby, was shot in the throat, and uh, they 
uh, sped up and tried to get to the nearby community as fast as they could, but their tires were shot shot out. Mm-hmm. So they made it as best they could, and they were telephoning. The driver was, because, again, he wasn't, thank God, hit. And he said, I have three wounded. So they were ready for them as soon as they arrived at the community. But uh, they were just about to transport the man hit in the throat uh, to a hospital in uh, Tel Aviv. This is a community in northern Samaria, by the way, uh, real close to, uh, not that far from uh, Haifa, really. It's in the northern Samaria area. And uh, he died. So the helicopter ride didn't happen. And... uh, the uh, security forces are looking for the two um, men. They have already arrested some people. And, uh, Rick, we had another attack in the old city on November 21st. Another young man, about the same age, actually, 26-year-old South African from a very prominent Jewish family in South Africa, well-known. Uh, he was a tour guide, and he was killed outside of the uh, Temple Mount by an Arab uh, actually, uh, Imam, he was a clergyman uh, that came there every day and spoke at a nearby uh, Muslim site, and he had a gun hidden under his robe, and he pulled it out and shot this man dead. Mm-hmm. So this is the second Israeli death in uh, just a few weeks. Well, we're talking about attacks on Israelis and uh, Jewish Israelis from Arab terrorists. Uh, but what's in the news here, which is Ironic, I guess, if if you think about it, what's in the news here is uh, settler violence towards Palestinians. Can you give us an idea of what the real situation on the ground is there? Well, Rick, this came up last weekend when the public security minister, Omer Barlev, tweeted out that he discussed, quote, rising settler violence with the U.S. Undersecretary for Political Affairs, uh, Victoria Nuland, who was in Israel visiting And he said they discussed this violence and how to reduce tensions in the area. So when that news broke, um, he was widely condemned for that. And he said, no, I support the settlements. I believe they should exist. But we do have violence from some of these people, and some of it's unprovoked, and it needs to be dealt with. Well, he was uh, roundly condemned by other members of the government. So, again, the tenuous nature, if I can say that, of the new Israeli left-right government was showing this week over this issue. And some of the religious uh, members of the government condemned it, including members of the prime minister's own party, uh, which is a right-wing, basically, settler party. It gets a lot of votes from Jews that live in Judea and Samaria. And uh, so it created a firestorm. But, you know, the reality on the ground, um, this is isolated, uh, as uh, I think it was Benny Gantz or one of the other ministers pointed out, you know, attacks by Jews upon Arabs are few and far between compared to what we just discussed, two Jewish young men, both with uh, wives and babies, killed in cold blood just because they're Jewish. And by the way, I didn't add that Hamas issued a statement praising that terror attack, saying we encourage all young Palestinians to pull out their guns and knives and go and kill the Jews until we destroy them all and take back Jerusalem. So that's the reality on the ground. And the settler violence, quote-unquote, 
Uh, and and he pointed out, the minister, uh, Barlev, pointed out that she brought the topic up, Victoria Nuland, the U.S. Undersecretary for Political Affairs, as part of the Biden administration, they've reverted back to this war against settlers. So um, he said, it wasn't my idea to discuss this. She brought it up. So, you know, what could he do, he said. Well, against this backdrop of Palestinian violence, we, we hear a demand from the Palestinian chairman, Mahmoud Abbas, he said he would like to move the peace process forward, and his demand was he would like to draw the borders of the Palestinian state and threatens decisive decisions if his demands are not met. Yes, and according to the Israeli media reports on that, he's going to present this demand to senior Israeli leader, Defense Minister Benny Gantz, They're scheduled to meet in Ramallah, where Abbas has his offices next week, uh, Rick. So he's supposed to present that. But uh, they they put out a statement afterwards when the news broke in, in an Arabic newspaper. Then the PA put out a statement saying that they had presented this plan to the U.S., to Egypt, to Jordan, and others already. And this would be a reopening of negotiations between Israel and the PA. Well, First of all, they make plain that the border has to be the 1967 lines exactly, meaning, oh, 750,000 Israelis would be in this Palestinian state. And, of course, it goes right through the center of Jerusalem. So they get the old city, the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, like Jordan had. Well, as you can guess, but that would break apart the government for sure. If there was any agreement to such a thing, uh, everybody who's realistic at all knows that the Jewish enclaves, the uh, communities that are, I mean, the city of Male Adumim outside of Jerusalem, you know where it is on the road to the Dead Sea, has 45,000 people living in it. What are they going to do? Just uh, suddenly be part of a Palestinian state? Nabas doesn't want these Jewish uh, residents, and they're certainly not going to evacuate almost a million people. It was bad enough to evacuate 8,000 from Gaza, as I mentioned, and that caused a huge schism in the country. This would cause a civil war for sure. So it's it's a non-starter, but uh, we've been playing this game with the PA a long time. And, oh, by the way, there's a group called Hamas that controls the Gaza Strip that opinion polls show is supported by about 70% of the Palestinians in Judea and Samaria. They want to take over that new state, and then these Israelis would be living in a Hamas-ruled state. I don't think so. Well, and even you say, talking about the 67 borders, we saw some information coming out of Saudi Arabia, and they're saying, you know, we can have peace with Israel. All they have to do is go back to the 67 borders. Yeah, that was the Saudi ambassador to the U.N. made those statements this week, and he said if the occupation ends and you go back to the original borders, meaning East Jerusalem again and the Temple Mount is under Arab control uh, exclusively, and, uh, well, I forgot to add the Jews living inside of Jerusalem's municipal boundary. We're talking about a million people, Rick, that would have to come under Palestinian rule if this happened. Well, he said if Israel would agree to this and reminded the, the audience that he had presented that his country had presented a plan in 2002 for this very thing, then all, he said, all the Muslim countries, 53, would recognize Israel and make peace with this. Well, that is, uh, I'll just say baloney. I I could say something stronger, (laughs) but uh, 
It's ridiculous. Iran's not going to make peace with Israel. Lebanon's not going to make peace. Syria isn't. Yemen probably won't. And there's a, another eight or ten Muslim countries that are very hostile towards Israel that will never make peace with it. So, again, this is a ridiculous concept, ridiculous idea. But whether he's working with Abbas in this, we don't know. And it may be that he's promoting this, uh, quote, peace process renewal back to the, you know, 67 borders on Abbas's behalf. But again, Abbas, if there were a vote, the polls show he would be out of office and Hamas would take over. And we know clearly what they want. Absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for the Middle East News Update today. Thank you for keeping our listeners informed as these things take place and happen there in Israel. And uh, we have a valuable resource in you in letting us know what's going on. So we appreciate that, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, I'm happy to do it. God bless. And we're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we return, we're going to talk with Winky Madad. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. We have a DVD that we would like to offer. It's called Ready to Rebuild Revisited. It's the revisiting of our very first video, Ready to Rebuild, 20 years later, looking at what's been done to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem by the Jewish people, the Temple Institute, and all those that are interested in the temple being rebuilt. So if you would like to get that DVD for a gift of any amount, we will gladly send that to you. Just call our ministry at 423-825-6247 and ask for the special offer and that you have a gift that you would like to give Prophecy Today. You know, we need to continue this ministry that my father started, and we will give you, in return for a donation of any amount, we will give you our DVD, Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick. This next half hour, Winky Madad coming up. Then uh, Dr. Rich Schmidt will be talking to us about the statements that uh, President Trump made about former Prime Minister Netanyahu. And then Rob Morrow will be coming to talk about the economic situation in our world today. But first, we have Winky Madad. That's right. We do have with us today Winky Madad. And Winky Madad is a great guest. He's a frequent contributor here to Prophecy Today. And one of the reasons we like Winky's contributions is he lives in the area that uh, the world might call the West Bank, but he would call and we would call as well Judea and Samaria. So he is on the ground and he gives us great information and uh, he's also experienced in Israeli politics. So he's a wonderful resource for us to have. Winky, thank you for joining us today. Thank you once again for having me on. Well, the first thing I'd like to talk about, and this has been in the news here, and I'm sure it's been in the news in Israel as well, uh, there has been some reports coming out. Um, the former President Donald Trump gave an interview in which he talked about his relationship with uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, and there's some very interesting things in this, some expletives that uh, that came out based on... Um, you know, the fact that uh, Netanyahu recognized Biden as president maybe sooner than President Trump thought. But anyways, could you tell us a little bit th about this, how it's playing out in Israel and how you view this? 
Well, it's, it's, it has a bit of a humorous side, because as in the United States, the media here in Israel, both the radio, which I call broadcast media, and the television, and the print media, of course, is dominated by, shall we say, to be generous, left of center people uh, with views that we would call either liberal or left. Uh, I don't want to malign too many people, but that's basically the, the the current wave of what goes on in newsrooms. And of course, for them, as in the United States, Trump has been a an arch enemy, a man who can't tell the truth, a man who bumbles things, who upsets foreign policy, and I could probably go on and on on the list. And all of a sudden, because of one interview with one of the most leftist of uh, reporters that we have here, that actually had to leave his job because he wasn't really being the best and managed to wing himself a few uh, uh, contracts in order to be able to go to the United States, all of a sudden everybody accepting Trump's words as, I'm not going to say the God's truth, but, you know, the ultimate truth, and how right he is. Of course, that's only in order to attack Mr. Netanyahu. So that's the first insight I would give you. The second, very quickly, is that it is obvious that Mr. Netanyahu does not interfere in internal American politics. It is not for the Prime Minister of Israel to say whether or not the elections were stolen, whether the elections... Uh, were partially stolen, whether there could have been court cases. That's for America to decide. That's an internal American to come out, as I think Mr. Trump wanted it to do, and deny recognition to the new administration based on an, either a political or an ideological view. I think it's very unfair a demand to make of a foreign leader. Uh, and so I think Mr. Trump benefited a lot in his relationships with Israel. I think a lot of people, among them listeners of this program and types uh, of program uh, like this, voted for him because of his promises to Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, I will leave it at that and, and let people understand what I'm hinting at. Well, and even the most ardent supporters of President Trump, they often realize that he sometimes speaks before he thinks, and it's not necessarily, like you said, the God's honest truth. That is not the the absolute narrative as to the way things went down. Absolutely. Even if we call it locker room talk. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, moving on from that, and uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about some posts that you put up on your Twitter. And for those of our listeners who who do follow people on Twitter, you could find Israel Madad. He's at Y-M-E-D-A-D. That's where you'd find Israel Madad. And uh, it's definitely a very good follow, especially for those that are interested in these subjects. Recently, you've put up some posts talking about some activities taking place on the Temple Mount. Can you expound on that? And what is the status update on the Temple Mount and those that are looking to um, create more of a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount? Sure. Uh, as some of the more veteran listeners know, uh, and we've talked about this for decades, uh, Jews can only go into one of nine gates that lead into the Temple Mount. They can only go in for a few hours. If I'm not mistaken, it's about four and a half 
or maybe five hours at the most during each day except Friday and Saturday, when actually years ago when I was with younger, we could, we could also go up to the Temple Mount on the Saturday or, our, uh, of course, our Shabbat, as we call it. And uh, you can't go up at night, even though basically for hours and hours at nighttime, uh, there's no Muslim presence, there are no prayers, so we wouldn't interfere with anybody. Well, some activists, uh, as I would say, and you call them, uh, came up with an idea to pretend to be Muslims, to dress like them, uh, to carry the prayer beads, for those of, uh, of the listeners who have been here, to the Temple Mount disguised. Now, between you and me, I don't think that's very smart. It could cause a lot of personal injury to perhaps someone who would be caught. And I think there's enough time during the day to pray. But, all right, they decided on that uh, direction. They did not break any law. Uh, they put up, uh, or they allowed, shall I say, a television reporter to record them practicing, uh, prostrating themselves, and, and trimming their hair so they look more Muslim and learning some Arabic phrases. And the police arrested two of them and tried to put them in jail. There was a court case uh, this this past week. Uh, as far as I know, there's no law that uh, prohibits them from doing so. Uh, and the police uh, was stymied by a court judge who said that they have to be released. You want to investigate them. You don't have to arrest them. You can talk to them in a police station, and we'll see how things work out. Very interesting indeed. Um, well, we hope that you will continue to monitor that situation. We know that the Temple Mount is important to you as a Orthodox Jew and in, in, is an increase in importance in Israel, is it not? It is. I mean, the numbers, for example, this past week, as we speak, over 600 Jews managed to pay a visit to the Temple Mount. Uh, uh, if you know my history and you know I'm a little bit older than I would hope to be <laughs> at the present moment, I remember when we couldn't get 10 Jews up there in a month. I'm talking about the 1970s. And, and, and this week, we had over 600 visits by Jews. So obviously, uh, and, and more by rabbis, shall I add, and other important figures, uh, including uh, media figures and uh, people in the entertainment world. I mean, it's beginning to expand. Uh, things that I, I spoke with your late father over the years about Give us a little bit of time. The Temple Mount consciousness is growing. Uh, we're beginning to see it. God sometimes works slowly, and we have to work with Him. Well, we will continue to monitor that for sure. Again, we want to encourage people, look at the situation. Don't automatically accept what the mainstream media is feeding you. And and we appreciate you coming on and, and talking frankly and honestly about this subject to keep our listeners informed. Well, I, I thank you very much, and as this program is, I guess you could call a faith-based program, mm -hmm. uh, I am committed to telling the truth, because that's what God told us to in the Holy Books and the Scriptures, and I hope that uh, I will be judged on, on, on the facts and on the truth that we seek, both of us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Winky. Uh, as always, you, you've done a great job of keeping our listeners informed, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Winky Madad, our gentleman that we always talk to when we're 
talking about political intellectual ideas and what's taking place in the settlements uh, in Judea and Samaria in the political scene in Israel. But I, I, I want to follow up on something that Winky said or didn't say. And I, I, I'm looking at the uh, the website Israel 365 News, and uh, one of the articles there is Trump's riff with Netanyahu putting evangelicals in an awkward position. So I thought about that, and I thought the one person that I could go to that I know that would give me the proper biblical perspective on this is Dr. Richard Schmidt. Doc, good to have you on the program today. Well, it's great to hear from you, Dr. DeYoung, and uh, looking forward to our little chat here. Yes, so uh, I know that, first of all, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We know that. You're second, you're a pastor. You have a pastor's heart. Uh, you pastor uh, Union Grove Baptist Church in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Um, and you've been in the political field. You were the former sheriff of Milwaukee. You've run for political office. You're in the know with the political field. You and your wife are very involved in politics in the state of Wisconsin and nationally. So when I read this article, is Trump's rift with Netanyahu putting evangelicals in an awkward position? And and you read the article and it and it goes to... Uh, spiritual, uh, religious leaders uh, on, on uh, in Israel and in the United States. Little did I know you had done a program about this on your Wednesday night, and I want you to tell tell us about that at the end of today. But give me your take. What's a proper biblical perspective that we need to have as Christians? Well, what this basically comes down to, it's the quintessential issue of politics versus Bible, mm. and to look at the government as being the uh, Bible leaders, if you will, is certainly looking at a wrong perspective. Now, this is not a pro-Trump or an anti-Trump statement. It's a true statement. We shouldn't expect a president to know the Bible like uh, individuals that literally teach and preach the Word of God and are trained in the Word of God. Donald Trump, I think with all due respect, attempted to do something that he felt was going to help the Jewish people and was going to help the Middle East, and he was looking at it from a very political standpoint. He certainly did what he felt was right for the sake of government, but quite frankly, it had nothing to do with the biblical perspective. So again, it's no diss on, on the former president. But when you look at it from a Jewish standpoint that are looking at the scriptures, Prime Minister Netanyahu certainly does have at least some background in uh, the Hebrew scriptures of the Old mm -hmm. Testament. And it's very, very clear in the Bible that there's no such thing as a two-state solution that the Jewish people are looking for. The Jewish people rightly know that God has promised them the land of Israel. In fact, uh, Israel right now is only about one-tenth of the size that God has promised mm -hmm. uh, to the Jewish people. And that will come to pass in a, a time known as the Millennial Kingdom, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 7. We look back at the book of Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, and God literally lays out the landmass that the Jewish people are entitled to. And uh, again, with no all due respect to the governmental leaders, they 
don't understand, if you will, because they, they may not have been trained in it or never have looked at it. But again, it's not about the government. This is looking at it from a biblical standpoint. So to make the statement, as some have, that this is hurting evangelicals, I would quite frankly beg to disagree on that. Government does not control God's plan, and government is not the do-all, say-all in what's going to happen with the sovereign plan of God. So it is literally, God will use government to accomplish his will at the proper time. So this, uh, if you will, the little rift that uh, the media is trying to portray between former President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu, that, quite frankly, free evangelicals or Christians should not in any way, shape, manner, or form cause us to have an issue with the government. This isn't about the government. Again, when we look at, and Jimmy, you're an expert on uh, biblical prophecy, and when we look at God's plan, what's the plan? Well, the next major event, according to Scripture, that's going to take place is the rapture of the church. could happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be a seven-year tribulation period, spoken of in Daniel 9.27, and literally Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through the end of uh, Revelation 19.10. After that seven-year period, God promised to come back to set up his millennial kingdom, literally at his second advent, when he returns to this earth. And that's when uh, the entire land of Israel that God promised to them will be given to them. So uh, I think we can hopefully agree on this, that what the government said, what governmental leaders do, that we should always take with, that's government. It is not a biblical mandate what uh, uh, an American president and the prime minister of Israel uh, determine is right or wrong at this point. God's sovereign plan will come to pass. Mm. Excellent, excellent explanation. And I think uh, a proper biblical perspective on uh, government leaders uh, as you go to vote. And again, we have an election coming up, the midterms. We have the presidential election that will be coming up. And uh, there are criteria that we use uh, where a political leader stands on Israel, where they stand on uh, abortion, and where they stand on uh, the sanctity of marriage. And I think those are the top three. Am, Am I missing any there, Rich? Well, I, I think you're right on the money, Doc. And here's here's the thing. Again, one of the things, and I applaud President Trump for, is he's always been pro-Israel. Uh, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has been a major player in trying to help establish some peace between Israel and other Middle Eastern partners. So I applaud what they're doing. The only, again, it's not a, a, a negative about the president. He's trying to do what he feels is the best scenario mm. for the Jewish people and for the Middle East. Unfortunately, where the little rift comes is, again, Prime Minister Netanyahu rightly understands that it'll never be a two-state solution as far as the scriptures are concerned for the end game. So when we look at this, I, I fully support uh, what President Trump has done to try to help Israel Has he maybe taken a little bit of a wrong turn on the one issue? I would agree he has, but it's simply because he's not trained. (laughs) Yeah, right. He's human. He had a human emotion there of loyalty, and uh, 
the Prime Minister Netanyahu had to do that. He had to call, and just like every other world leader would have to call and congratulate the next president. So, I mean, these are this is a very emotional issue for President Trump in that interview. And, of course, like you said, the media is trying to whip something up. But, again, we use the proper criteria for who to vote for. Uh, we understand that God uses world leaders to accomplish his will. That's Revelation chapter 17. And uh, there is a proper understanding of what's going to take place in the future and by studying God's word. That's how we determine what's going to take place and, and understand the times in which we're living. Dr. Schmidt, tell us again how people can watch what you do uh, with your church on Wednesday nights uh, in Union Grove. Well, we have uh, several different ways. If you go to our website, myugbc.com, they're all listed there. It's also played over YouTube, and we also are on sermonaudio.com. So all of those venues, also Facebook Live covers it. Or you can, again, just go to our website, myugbc.com. Excellent. Dr. Schmidt, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. We wish that uh, you and your uh, church family will have a great uh, Sunday coming up, and thank you again for taking the time. Well, God bless you. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, to everyone, have a great Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Dr. Rich Schmidt and his take from a pastor and a gentleman that's been in the politics and governmental politics for a while. Uh, he's got a pastor's heart and first and foremost, he's a believer in Jesus Christ. So thank you, Dr. Schmidt. Well, uh, man, I've been troubled lately. I've been watching what's happening in the finances in the United States, in the, in the treasury department, our go-to guy, uh, Ron Morrow. Ron, good to have you with us today. Thank you, Jimmy. Good to be with you. Uh, yeah, there's so much that's been happening. There's been a lot of turbulence both up and down in the global stock market in the past few weeks. Ron, in your opinion, now, you know, I want to get your take uh, as to why this is important to us as believers. But in your opinion, do you think uh, what has caused this volatility? Well, some say it's uh, it's the Omicron variant, while others blame inflation. What's your take on this? You know, Jimmy, the volatility really began on uh, Friday, November 26th, as news of the Omicron variant burst out of the global headlines. Mm. What is interesting about that day is that it was Friday, the Friday between Thanksgiving and the weekend. And on that day, the U.S. markets are only open till 1 p.m. Unique to that day is that most big traders and institutions are gone for the long weekend. So with an absence of big buyers and a lot of small sellers, the Omicron news created a selling panic, causing the Dow Jones to drop 900 points before anyone even knew if Omicron was going to be, amount to another shutdown or whether it was just a mild variant. Mm. What the markets didn't forget that day is that four days earlier, November 22nd, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell, who had just been reappointed for another four-year term by President Biden, was promising to make good on something called taper meaning he's going to slow down the money printing press, buy fewer bonds than the Fed has been buying each month, and that signaled to the markets a rise in interest rates to fight inflation. That strategy already had the markets on edge. Omicron just added fuel to the fire, even though we knew so little about it. Wow. Let me, let me see if I get this correct. Yeah. Just talking about slowing down money printing had the effect of causing big market swings in stock prices. What would happen if the Fed were to stop printing money completely? That, that, Jimmy, is the problem. It remains to be seen if the Federal Reserve can stop money printing. 
In 2009, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke and Barack Obama's Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner developed a plan to end the housing crisis by creating $1 trillion in new money to buy toxic mortgage bonds held by banks around the world. The plan was called Quantitative Easing, or QE. Over the next four years, the Fed continued the money printing and bond purchases up to $4 trillion with a promise to pay it back as soon as the crisis was over. Was the $4 trillion ever paid back? Of course not. <laughs> the problem, and, and the problem is that the U.S. economy has become addicted to money printing to solve every crisis. As an example, let's go back to March 23rd, 2020, and the COVID shutdown crisis. As stock prices plummeted out of control due to the shutdown, the Federal Reserve rode in on a black horse to save the day with $6.8 trillion printed money to backstop the entire financial system. Once the market stabilized, Mr. Powell and company decided to add another $120 billion per month to the markets in the way of buying, uh, buying back our own mortgage bonds. So what's the Fed's plan now? All right. On Wednesday, the Fed announced their new policy, which is being called TAPER or winding down of the printing press, mm. which will reduce money printing by 50% beginning January 2022. Jimmy, two inflation reports earlier this week set the stage for the Fed's policy. On Tuesday of this week, uh, Department of Labor announced the largest rise in producer prices in 40 years, confirming fears that we are seeing inflation in anything but temporary. Producer prices rose 9.6%, fastest pace on record. Adding to the grim news on Wednesday, CNBC re re released consumer price jumps from November 2020 to November 2021. Hang on to your hat. Uh, fruits and vegetables up 4%. Milk, 4.6%. Mm -hmm. Food, 6.1%. Electricity, 6.5%. Uh, new vehicles, 11.1%. Furniture and bedding, 11.8%. Meat, poultry, and fish, 13.1%. Hotels, 25.5%. Used vehicles, 314 And gas prices, 58.1%. <laughs> Rod, you're killing me. You're killing me, brother. Hey, uh, those are some scary numbers, really, when you think about it for families. Do you think the Federal Reserve's new taper policy can get inflation under control? Jimmy, all that has happened in one year as the Biden administration ended the Keystone Pipeline, stopped drilling on public lands, and started multi-trillion dollar spending spree that is driving inflation with no end in sight. The Fed's plan is announced on Wednesday is to use the most effective tool they have to fight inflation, and that is raising short-term interest rates to slow the economy. The Fed will begin by tapering money printing by $60 billion per month, and that will remove some stimulus from the market. Now, when the Fed tried that in 2018, it failed, and the markets crashed 20%. If it fails again, it'll only be a matter of time before another crisis hits. And the only alternative will be to crank up the printing press again, leaving the Fed with no bullets mm -hmm. left to fight inflation. If, or I should say when that happens, it's possible that inflation could rise out of control. And that's where Bible prophecy comes in. The prophet Haggai said this in, in the 6th century B.C., you have sown much and bring in a little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but mm -hmm. no one's warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Jimmy, a purse with holes is an interesting metaphor for a tribulation a prophecy found in Revelation. When money is devalued by new money, the result can be a crash in a nation's currency resulting in hyperinflation. 
And hyperinflation just happens to be the third judgment of the tribulation, symbolized by the black horse of Revelation 6, 5, and 6. Wow. You know, Ron, for many years we saw this and we, you know, we would talk about the European Union and what was taking place in Italy and Ireland uh, and Greece with a financial crisis. And, uh, you know, we would talk about, wow, this is setting up for the Antichrist in the mark of the beast. Folks, today in America, with the devaluation of the dollar, and uh, we're printing money, uh, this plan, it doesn't seem like they have a plan. Ron, do you see really what's happening in America, setting up uh, the scenario for a the mark of the beast and his uh, system of economy? Yeah, the, you know, if you just focus on this Revelation 6, 5 and 6, this is the third uh, this this particular prophecy focuses on global hyperinflation. See, we we've seen hyperinflation, and we saw it in Germany uh, after World War. After World War, we saw we see it in Venezuela. Mm. Uh, we're seeing it in Turkey today. We're seeing hyperinflation in pockets, but Revelation six five and six speaks of hyperinflation on a global scale, and that it, that would set up. Uh, that would just set up for a catastrophe. Just. Yes, yes, setting up. Uh, we're looking, folks, again, as we talk about it. Ron, thank you so much. Give me your website again, Ron. Yes, it's uh, prophecytracker.org. Prophecytracker.org. Folks, go there, take a look at it. Uh, Ron, thank you so much. You know, uh, sometimes it's really hard for the average person to understand what's happening in our economic situation here in America or around the world. But let me just tell you, it, it, the scenario is being set for the future. That will take place during the tribulation period. But before that, the rapture takes place. Ron, thank you so much. We pray for your health and uh, your family, and we wish you well this Christmas season. Thank you, Jimmy. It was great to be with you. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick. We are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, we're coming down to the end of the year. And like you said, Rick, at the beginning of our program next week, we'll be focusing on Christmas around the world. It's an exciting time, and it's one of the times that we so much enjoy along with Everyone around the world, everybody loves Christmas. Rick, several people have asked us about how they can support the ministry, and are we continuing on our ministry? What can you tell us about uh, our plans for the future? Well, we appreciate the support that we've received, and many of you know that our father passed away in August, and he was a founder and a driving force behind this ministry, but we are certainly carrying it on. We certainly have the same drive to share, to first of all, look at... uh, current events in the light of Bible prophecy, and the second, just uh, to make sure that we are studying correctly the Scripture and and preparing ourselves for the walk ahead. But one thing I wanted to say, for those that are interested in continuing on with our ministry, we are going through some changes. We're transitioning a little bit. We're going to make some changes to our website. I know many of you go there for information. Keep an eye on that. Go to prophecytoday.com. It it may look a little different. These are things that we are doing to try to better communicate with you 
the message of Bible prophecy, and the correct study of Scripture. If you go to our website at prophecytoday.com, if you do like our ministry, we would ask you to prayerfully consider, especially at this end of the year season, the giving season, um, we would ask you to prayerfully consider supporting our ministry financially. Every little bit helps as we continue to put out materials, put out the podcast, put out the radio program, do prophecy conferences, and eventually do study tours again in Israel. Yes, this last week we've got plenty of emails from our friends and uh, uh, followers of our ministry that gave us encouragement and said how much they enjoyed the program. As we are in a transition period before this Christmas time, we are looking forward to our ministry continuing, and we would ask that many of you would continue to support the ministry in prayer, but also if you have a chance at the end of this year to think about uh, supporting us financially. Again, that's prophecytoday.com. And now Dr. Jimmy DeYoung with the Legacy Series. As we continue our study of interesting details and facts about the Christmas story, I want to focus in on the shepherds. They were key players in the Christmas story. I want to talk about the shepherds, who they were, where they were located, and why were they there. Naturally, you expect to find shepherds in the shepherd's fields where the sheep are being kept. Most of the time, these were Bedouins are nomads. That's the case throughout the Middle East today. These shepherds, these Bedouins and nomads, will wander from place to place, mostly in the desert, in search of grass for their sheep. You know, that's still the case today. You can travel throughout the land of the Bible and see shepherds in field after field across the countryside. It is amazing to do a study on these shepherds. They know how to care for lambs. Lambs are very dumb animals. In fact, there's a wonderful story told about how one shepherd had to break the leg of one of his lambs in order to teach him discipline so that he would be able to keep the flock together and keep them from going into harm's way. There's an interesting parallel that Jesus Christ has with the shepherds, and that is told in the book of Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. In fact, there are a number of passages in the Bible where you can read about shepherds. But on that night of the birth of Jesus Christ, the shepherds were in the shepherd's fields there just outside the little village of Bethlehem. When we go to the text, Luke chapter 2, now this is one of four chapters in the Bible, some 168 verses, that give us the details and the facts about that Christmas night some 2,000 years ago. Here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, we read that there were indeed in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now notice verse 12 here in Luke chapter 2. And the angel said unto the shepherds, And this shall be a sign unto you. Now let me stop right there just for a moment. For many years I had difficulty understanding what the sign was. The text reads, following that statement by the angel, that ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
Now, you know, I really don't understand how that could be a sign. However, these shepherds, after receiving the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ, went with haste to find Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. That's verse 16 of Luke chapter 2. This was indeed a sign that is a key component of understanding how Bible prophecy laid out every single detail for the birth of the Messiah, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll get more into the study of how this was a sign to those shepherds there in the shepherd's fields. Let me think with you just a few moments about who were these shepherds. First of all, they were not little boys, or they weren't even teenagers. You might think as you travel through the Middle East and you see all the shepherds as little boys, maybe in their early or late teens, these are the shepherds that would have been in the fields there that night of the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, these shepherds were also trained as priests that would operate in the temple. Every one of these men had to study for 28 years. They would study from two years of age all the way to 30 when they would qualify to be the priest, and they would study the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, they would learn how to do the sacrificial activities at the temple. That's the first seven chapters of Leviticus. Then they would learn the standard that they would have to meet to be a priest in the temple. That was chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Leviticus. Finally, from chapters 12 through 27, they would understand how to worship in a temple, which was a key responsibility for all of these priests. However, the priests that were out there in the shepherd's fields that night, they were priestly shepherds with a different responsibility than operating the temple there three miles away from the shepherd's fields. These priestly shepherds were there to watch over the sheep that had a destiny at the temple. Before I get to that, let's think a moment, where were these shepherd's fields? The shepherd's fields were just outside the little town of Bethlehem in the area of Bethlehem Euphrates. Now that's required by the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, because the birth of the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, had to take place in the little town of Bethlehem. So these shepherd's fields were right outside the little village of Bethlehem. I myself have stood right there in those shepherd's fields in the nighttime, looking across those fields over to the lights of the little village of Bethlehem, and had my mind go back some 2,000 years as if I was a shepherd, one of those priestly shepherds there in the shepherd's fields. By the way, these shepherd's fields are the same location where Jacob pitched his tent after he buried his wife, Rachel, who had just given birth to their last son, Benjamin, there in Bethlehem, Euphrata. The text tells us in the book of Genesis chapter 35 that Jacob left the burial site, went back towards Jerusalem, and on the road between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, which is only a three-mile trip, there Jacob pitched his tent at a place called Migdal Adar. Migdal Adar, or translated from the Hebrew, the Tower of the Flock, is a very important location in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy as it relates to the first coming of Jesus Christ. This will also be a part of our study next time we get together. You know, as you read the book of Ruth, you'll find out that these were also the fields of Boaz. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer who actually redeemed Ruth. 
and made her a part of the lineage to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, the son of Jesse, who was a shepherd in these same fields. A lot of activity had taken place in this location before that eventful night of the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let me remind you who these shepherds were. They were priestly shepherds there in the shepherd's fields in the area of the little town of Bethlehem. But the question still remains, why were these priestly shepherds in these fields? Priestly shepherds had the responsibility of watching over the lambs. You may recall 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is a record of David, the little shepherd boy, who would actually become one day a king of Israel. And the record indicates that he had to watch over his father's sheep there in the shepherd's fields. And one day he went out and had to kill a bear and a lion in order to protect his sheep. Well, these priestly shepherds had that same responsibility to protect these sheep because they were very special sheep. They were lambs that would be sacrificed at the temple some three miles away. You see, these priestly shepherds were serving there in the shepherd's fields because the shepherd's fields were the holding pen for the sacrificial lambs to be offered at the temple. They had to be without blemish and without spot. They must be protected so they could be presented as a pure sacrifice at the temple. In addition to watching over these lambs that were destined to be sacrificed at the temple, these priestly shepherds would give birth to the newborn lambs as well. And they would do that at Migdal Adar. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself in the story, and I need to wait next week to see how Migdal Adar plays into the Christmas story as we look at the interesting details and facts about the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you that these priestly shepherds had the responsibility of watching over these lambs that would be indeed sacrificed at the temple. It was on that Christmas night over 2,000 years ago when these priestly shepherds in the fields just outside the little village of Bethlehem would receive the announcement from the angels that would announce the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Again, let me go to the text, Luke chapter 2, and this time verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and these shepherds were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. These angels then announced to the shepherds, and this shall be a sign unto you. And with haste these shepherds went to find the newborn babe, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, let me remind you that these shepherds' fields were the holding pen for the sacrificial lambs. And on that night, the shepherds' fields would become the holding pen for the sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He gave his life for you and for me. Jesus, indeed, is the reason for the season. 
He brings to all of us the gift of salvation, which is a free gift, in fact, the best gift that any of us could ever receive. You know, you can receive that gift of eternal life, that gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, and you can do it today. All that is needed is for you, as I did when I was 11 years old, to admit that we're sinners and we are in the need of a Savior. Then we need to believe that Jesus Christ, who was born some 2,000 years ago, came to this earth to be the ultimate sacrifice for all of sin. He died, he was buried, but three days later he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. All we need to do is call upon him to save us. Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a gift we can receive at this Christmas time. Thank you, Dr. DeYoung. And if you did make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior this Christmas, please send us an email at jimmyjr at prophecytoday.com. We would love to hear from you, and we have a special gift for you as you start to grow as a newborn Christian. Next week on the broadcast, we'll find out more about what that sign was all about that the angels gave to the shepherds there in the shepherd's fields. Hope you can join us next week as we study more interesting details and facts that are related to the Christmas story. we got to take a break, and when we come back, a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Rohingya refugees living in the U.S. and Europe have sued Facebook for $150 billion. They say the platform allowed hate speech against them to spread in Myanmar in 2017, leading to thousands of deaths. Bruce Allen with FMI says the plight of about a million Rohingya refugees living in Bangladesh is an ongoing disaster. The government recently demolished thousands of shops they used to buy and sell food. Pray for the ministry teams working in the region as they respond to the ongoing needs. And if you're like me, you're probably doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. Not sure what to buy for someone on your list? Well, check out the 2021 gift catalog from Wycliffe USA. Donating to a Bible translation project in honor of someone on your list can be a life-altering event. Wycliffe USA's Pixie Christensen says, Because people give to the Rwandan Sign Language Project, men like Muhir find new purpose. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. We have a DVD that we would like to offer. It's called Ready to Rebuild Revisited. It's the revisiting of our very first video, Ready to Rebuild, 20 years later, looking at what's been done to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem by the Jewish people, the Temple Institute, and all those that are interested in the temple being rebuilt. So if you would like to get that DVD for a gift of any amount, we will gladly send that to you. Just call our ministry at 423-825-6247 and ask for the special offer and that you have a gift that you would like to give Prophecy Today. You know, we need to continue this ministry that my father started. And we will give you, in return for a donation of any amount, we will give you our DVD, Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with Rick. We examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. 
This is the last section of the program where, Rick, you and I get a chance to look back over the program and really to help people to focus in on what has been taking place, what we talked about, and how it fits into God's prophetic word. That's right. We started with talking to Ken Timmerman, and we spent most of our interview with Ken talking about the threat from Iran and specific threats that Iran is making to spots inside of Israel. We know that the Bible says that Iran will come against Israel during the tribulation period. Yes. Ezekiel 38 shows the alignment of nations, and one of those nations being Iran or Persia, as it was referred to. But it talks about Russia, I believe, that's Magog and Gog, who is a a personality that leads Russia along with Persia, Iran, uh, Syria, Egypt, and we're talking about Turkey also in those nations that will come against Israel. But you know, I remember when we were working on Israel under fire and back in those days, Prime Minister Netanyahu gave a press conference that we were at. We recorded it. If you have ever seen our video series, Israel Under Fire, Prime Minister Netanyahu said and warned that Iran one day would have rockets pointed towards Israel. Well, now they do. Something in the neighborhood of about 300,000 rockets pointed, as we saw in the Tehran Times, all the spots that Iran has focused on. Interestingly, not only Israel, but Lebanon. So Iran is actively preparing. And it's interesting when you look at this uh a rocket that they're going to send up that they said that they're going to send up in space. I like what Ken said because it's the same analysis that I have. I really believe that they are practicing and setting up rockets that will carry a nuclear warhead towards Israel. Of course, Israel is already practicing, and we talked about that last week. They're practicing on heading this off before it ever gets to that point. Setting up the scenario that's in the tribulation period after the rapture of the church, which is talked about in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. After Ken, Jimmy, we went to Dave Dolan and Winky, and much of our conversation there was centered or focused around the Israeli-Palestinian issue. And this is not something that's new, right? Uh, the Bible uh, has the roots of this. Yes. When you look at, uh, and we have a very good uh, DVD that's uh, available for purchase. We trace the lineage from the twin brothers of Jacob and Esau. When we trace the, the lineage of Esau and his descendants today, those are the Palestinians. So this is a conflict that has started way back during the time of Jacob and Esau, and it continues on to today. We also went to Rich Mitt, and you talked a little bit about former President Trump, and the relationship between President Trump and Christians is a complicated one. But as we've talked about in the past, and we even our last several DVDs that we put together, we talked about the way that God does put leaders in place to fulfill his will and to bring about prophetic fulfillment from Scripture. Yes. You know, Revelation chapter 17 talks about God using world leaders to accomplish his will. You're exactly right. Our video pertaining to presidents, politics, and prophecy. When you look at that, you see these uh, presidents, the last seven presidents, and now the eighth president with President Biden, 
all making moves that are advancing the narrative of Bible prophecy. We understand that God has a perfect plan and he's going to use these world leaders to accomplish that plan. But I do remind our folks that there are three criteria that we use for when we are voting or we're looking for politicians that are going to represent us in our form of government. And those three criteria, their stand on abortion, their stand on the sanctity of marriage uh, between a man and a woman, and then, of course, how they stand on Israel. And those are three criteria that we have been putting forth for the last couple of years, and we still advance that narrative that these are some of the things that we need to keep in mind as we're looking at world leaders. And again, God does put these men in place to accomplish his will. And Rick, Ron Morrow talked to us about a financial crisis. You know, it's those same world leaders that have created a financial crisis that a man in the future will come in and solve this financial crisis through setting up the mark of the beast. That's Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, and then Revelation chapter 13. Finally, Jimmy, we heard Dad on the Legacy series and talking about the shepherds in the field there and essentially prophecy from the Old Testament being fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus Christ. And that's basically what it's all about. That's what the prophecy in the Old Testament scripture was pointing towards. Um, that's what the, the most important event in all of history. And we also see that that fulfillment of prophecy and what it means to us as Christians, but it also gives us an assurance that the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, they will be fulfilled in exact detail. Exactly. You know, the, the comfort that we have, Rick, is that all those prophecies that were fulfilled gives us the confidence to know that the prophecies in the future, 500 of them remaining pertaining to Christ's second coming, uh, gives us the confidence to know that all of these things are going to take place, but no prophetic events are to take place before the rapture of the church. With that information in hand, Jimmy, looking back at Again, like we believe and we know the most important event in all of history, the arrival of Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do armed with this information? We are to live pure, productive, holy lives in an unholy world. Uh, thank you, Rick. That was great. That set me up. And I always say that, but really... Having this information and understanding the times in which we're living, why the world is acting as it is, should encourage us to be very uh, diligent about living our lives as believers, uh, setting priorities in this world, and uh, looking forward to the future. Not only uh, the rapture of the church, but that time of the judgment seat of Christ, where we as Christians will give an account as to how we lived our life on this earth. And God could have arranged the stars in the heaven to spell out, ye must be born again. And he could have made the trees cry out, ye must be born again. But he chose us to carry forth that message of God's plan of redemption, which began with the birth of Jesus Christ in the little tiny town of Bethlehem. Well, we're looking forward to Christmas. I hope, uh, Rick, that you're going to have a, a good Christmas time. We will have a chance of visiting with our friends and, and Prophecy Today family on Christmas Day, but we'll be looking at Christmas around the world. Looking forward to it, Jimmy, and especially during this special time of the year. Let's remember why we do celebrate Christmas, the arrival of our Savior, and the importance of that event for all of mankind. Merry Christmas to everyone. We'll talk to you on Christmas Day. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you will take the time to join with us. Rick, you and I will be back here again next week, and I look forward to that. Well, with everything that's happening, all we can say is that the rapture could happen even today. 
So let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.